0: Dear listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Quote Unquote with KK. Today we are discussing on the future of mobility. As you know, this sector is a huge contributor to the GDP and employment of any country. Therefore, any positive or negative development in the sector would affect the economy of the country. Various economists have theorized that the full impact of mobility on sustainable energy to an economy can be a saving ranging from 30 to 50% from the current cost. Just to give you a quantum of savings. I had written a blog on the environmental sustainability of home delivery apps like Zomato and Swiggy at the time of Zomato's IPO. From their number numbers that had come in their prospectus. Assuming that they make 800 million food deliveries with an average of 5 kilometers radius, the total distance traversed by these two companies would be 4 billion kilometers in a year in India. This is like traveling between Earth and Neptune. And since most of these two-wheelers who they call their delivery partners and ride on two-wheelers which are carbon-emitting, assuming the 4 billion kilometers that they travel in India around 80 million liters of petrol for the bikes would be consumed and they would release around 186 million kilos of carbon in the environment assuming that they are four-stroke engines that's not a great environmental impact you know in the early part of this century I was working with Saudi Aramco world's largest crude oil producer and contributing to around 70% of GDP of Saudi Arabia the times were very bleak because because the cost of a liter of petrol was cheaper than the price of a liter of packaged drinking water there. Now you can imagine what Saudi Aramco was going through and the whole economy of Saudi Arabia at that point in time in early 2000. And obviously we've looked at various growth options in the energy sector for Saudi Aramco to punt on a long-range plan. But with the Russia-Ukraine crisis and the uncertainty of energy supply lines, things are not the same in terms of energy security of any country. So governments all around the world are pushing policies and incentives for a sustainable mobility solution in their country. Even Saudi Aramco today would be rethinking its strategy to move into sustainable energy solutions for the world other than crude oil. Let's move to the consumer side of things today. Many consumers who are wanting to buy their car or scooters or any personal mobility have various options to select. The traditional petrol diesel option, the hybrids or fully electric vehicles. However, in the post-COVID scenario. The global automotive and mobility industry is not so clear. There have been chip shortages hampering manufacturing and assembly of vehicles not just in India but globally. So the booking times have gone beyond a year in some of the models. On the other hand, traditional petrol diesel vehicles have been stockpiling as there have been a cutoff to electric or hybrid vehicles in some countries. Many new energy variants are emerging out of innovation. So no one is sure in which direction the mobility industry is going to be going. Let's look at a few developments in the last few months in India and globally. Recently, India discovered lithium and rare earth deposits that would boost the battery storage industry in India. On the other hand, Elon Musk and Tesla announced a $10 trillion investment to make the earth more sustainable. Coming back to Tesla, its credit rating is now above junk rating as it has turned profitable. On the other hand, the new Toyota CEO has said that it's not investing in electric vehicles and would rather develop other technologies that will be carbon neutral and wait for the direction to become clear where the world is. For the first time since Lehman crisis, the overall debt in the auto sector is increased to over $4 and stockpiling of new cars waiting to be sold to an all-time high. Tied to all this is the cost of critical raw materials that have fallen by 20% and in some cases by 70% making the overall production costs of vehicles cheaper. The governments, on the other hand, are also incentivizing consumers to purchase less polluting and environmentally friendly vehicles. As a result, the prices of cars are following post-COVID, and yet the consumer demand for vehicles is not picking up. It seems in the US, for the first time, there is a slump in the sale of cars as consumers are looking not to purchase cars. On the India front, in spite of a buoyant consumer demand, we are hampered because of availability of chips and batteries and other raw materials, which is leading to a huge bottleneck and lack of sales and delivery of cars in time. If we look at it globally, many players are either closing down their production lines or shutting down their plants. Some of them are also running low on cash and are likely to become bankrupt across the globe. This is a very paradoxical situation which can collapse the world economy into a depression. To decode the current situation, we have invited a strong thought leader entrepreneur who is India's Elon Musk and was way ahead of times in envisioning the future of mobility, even when Tesla had not even launched their first product and launched his first electric car called Reva in it. He was so ahead of time that when I was part of the NASCOM product conclave committee, we had invited him to present as a keynote speaker. His presentation 12 years back at the NASCOM product conclave looks like a cut and paste job by Tesla's last month's investor day presentation. Such a visionary he is from India and he has shaped the policy and the way forward for the future of mobility and electric vehicles in India. Dear listeners, I am glad to introduce my friend and an industry veteran, Chetan Maini. Let me briefly walk you through his profile, which reads, Chetan is the co-founder and chairman at Sun Mobility. He is an entrepreneur and technologist with over 25 years of experience in the mobility industry. Currently, he is the co-founder, vice chairman of Sun Mobility, which is a 50-50 joint venture between Vindria Mobility 5.0 and Sun new energy system. The joint venture aims to be the leading provider of universal energy infrastructure and services to accelerate mass electric vehicle usage. And his lifelong vision has been to create products and solutions to deepen the adoption of clean and sustainable mobility. He's such a passionate person that he developed the Reva electric car in 1999 and has been acknowledged globally as a pioneer in the electric vehicle space chetan has spent over two decades working with electric hybrid and solar vehicles in india and us and holds over 30 plus global patents in energy management systems for electric vehicles and presented many technical and keynote papers at coveted platforms globally his list of accolades runs into several lines which include the bbc top gear man of the year award the innovation award in energy and environment by the economist in london et auto gabs innovator of the year award frost and sullivan india startup visionary innovation leadership award and was listed as one of the top 50 most influential people in India to bring about change by the Business Week magazine. The EO Thomas Alva Edison Award for Entrepreneurship and Innovation in 2002. Indra Super Achiever Award from the Indra Group of Institutions. The Monte Carlo Sustainability Award in 2005 for Renewable Electric Vehicles. Chetan has been named as the Entrepreneur of the Year at the IMA Managing India Awards 2010. He has served several industry bodies in India and abroad. Some of the prominent ones include National Mission on Electric Mobility from 2012 to present, Young Global Leader, World Economic Forum from 2011 till date, Entrepreneur Organization from 2001 till date, World Economic Forum, Global Agenda Council for Personal Mobility. He has served as chairman in 2012 and 2013. Chetan completed his master's degree in mechanical engineering at Stanford in 1993 after obtaining a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering at the University of Michigan in 1992. So Chetan, welcome to our
1: podcast quote unquote with KK. It's really a really pleasure having you on our podcast show and reminiscing some of the things that we have heard from you from the past and I'm sure you would like to get direction on how the world of mobility is going to move in future. I would love to start this by you know certain basics about what is mobility and how is it going to be transforming in the future
2: thanks uh, for having me on board here pleasure to be and you know i mean mobility is really broad right it's about movement of people of goods it's cars buses ships trucks three wheelers scooters bicycle walking all over right but i think what's more relevant is around you know service transportation thing which is on top of everyone's mind and where the transformation there is going to be happening is around being electric shared connected autonomous and power these five are going to drive the next you know 10-15 years of where transportation is going to go and what is this mean? Uh, Well, if as vehicles get more electric, they'll be 10% more efficient. As they get powered by renewable energy, they'll be 10% lower cost. As they get to shared, they'll be 20% cheaper. As they go to autonomous, they'll be another 20% cheaper. And as you connect them fully, where you have a shared network that is fully connected, you can get another 10% more efficiency. So in the next Five ten 10 years, we're going to try to see transportation is probably 30 to 50% cheaper, more convenient and green. It's about all these things coming together and it's about connecting the dots that's going to define where the
1: Excellent. I wanted to understand, you know, different people are putting different bets on how this mobility is going to be looking like in the future. There are several people who have talked on TEDx, there are several people who have written their blogs, and then there are think tanks who have talked about different technologies and and how the world is going to get shaped, and then there are governments who are talking about policies, so it's a very complex uh, environment at this point in time. And not to say that you know there are different technologies and streams of science that get integrated to finally bring a world-class product uh, to the consumers. Could you just share the level of complexity that is involved uh, to produce a product of this nature?
2: Well, it's, it's you know starting with the customer, right? Understanding what the customer requirements are, understanding their. For a result of it, what are the product requirements? What kind? What would you do at a product design point? What would be the appropriate technologies that have to be developed to meet that? Then getting into detailed engineering, prototyping, testing, validation, certification, and finally manufacture. Right. So it's a fairly intense process, and a lot of these have the parallel to um, as you as you look at this happening here. It also you know is very multidisciplinary. Right. You're starting with product marketing and marketing design. To in today's vehicles, you need you know everyone from mechanical engineering to a software engineering to a chemical engineer to a systems engineer so the 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 lines are going away where you actually need sort of engineering capability and competency that people understand you know mechatronics or electronic software and mechanics together and have an appreciation of all of this so the the shift is more complex right where it is very multi-domain coming in and on top of that you have a large regulatory framework coming in that also drives be it from safety point of view or emissions point of view or on, on other aspects. So the combination of this is, you know, enabling is making on one side product design more complex. But on the other side, with newer tools and the world being much flatter, enables you to probably innovate much faster, right? So things that were very challenging 10, 15 years ago are done much faster. It would take you probably three weeks to do. You could do it two days today. So in a way, it's become a more complex world, but it's also given you tools to enable you to move faster.
1: You know, it reminds me of what we used to do in drug discovery in my previous avatar. You know, there are different branches of science and then the product development and human trials safety trials and then finally to the clinical it goes into marketing and then anywhere a billion dollars to create a blockbuster drug and you have only certain number of years of exclusivity on which you could charge a much uh, protection on your technology uh, like the life sciences industry affords you so what are the risk of an entrepreneur and you've gone through that cycle to really dream about something and bring a product which is world-beating in nature and finally you know make it available mass market how do you see this for anybody who wants to take a fund into this sector
2: well i think an important part is going to be around technology right and having strong r&d because Unless that core is not there, it's nothing going to work. So a lot of companies today, of course, globally have been doing it, but in India too, now investing in technology in art. And that's going to give them the right way. There was a point of time you could take A, B, C, and D and put it together and it would work. But I think today this is important. But there's another transformation also happening. In smaller form factors like scooters and anything else, you may right. see a sort of distributed manufacturing thought process like what happened, cell phone industry. You know, 15 years ago, we had large companies who made everything and put it together together. But right. today, company buys chip from A, screen from B, battery from C, understands a mark, it puts an OS on it and goes to a mark. I'm simplifying it, but you can see a sense of distributed manufacturing coming in on a lot of scooters and stuff where different components can come from different and you become system integrators and core technologists and software platforms that are very closely connected to customers. And so you don't have to probably invest in the entire value chain. You may, this may change. So along with this shift, there's also going to come new ways of manufacturing and distribution, maybe more in the smaller form factors of it, maybe more challenging in cars and trucks. But definitely on the fabulous space in markets like India, this could be a fairly transformation.
1: I want to talk about the distributed manufacturing and the traditional way cars were got manufactured by traditional car manufacturers where you are tier one, tier two, and then they took it on the assembly line and assembled the product, you yeah. know, then distributed it. And today, as I understand, you know, guys like Tesla are doing everything in-house which they are setting up world-scale gigafactories. Isn't it something that is going away from from the traditional distributed model or tiering model or the way the automotive industry operated. And do you think that the disruption that you are seeing in the manufacturing process itself in the mobility industry?
2: Um, yes, I think that, you know, if you think of an electric vehicle, over 50% of its bill of material is different, right? Because it's batteries, it's electronics, it's motors, it's, uh, you know, electric air conditioning, electric power steering. All of these new systems are coming in place. As a result of it, early companies that started didn't find strong supply chain and therefore decided to invest themselves. There were also opportunities to integrate technologies better because you could use a computer for multiple things. You could use a cooling system for multiple aspects of the vehicle. And therefore, there was the system engineering enabled you bring in efficiencies. So in many ways, some companies went back you know, vertically integrating it. And the combination like a company like Tesla created was that they could actually get a cost benefit out of that. So eventually when people went out and did it to Two, they want to get a cost benefit. So at one point, you remember IPs and instrument panels, everything was done, wouldn't come. And then these large companies broke out of Visteon or broke out of Delphi or, you know, 30, 40 years ago to create subsidiaries to enable them because they felt that their cost structures worked. But that was when right. technology got a bit mature. So you're seeing in some cases, some people still fall up in the distributed area where they become system integrators. And you're seeing some people saying, hey, there's so much value creation in our integration of scale and I have, scale, and therefore I'm going to do everything. And, you know, both work in depending on the volumes and the technology innovation you're creating, right? That would make sense. So I don't think there's a right answer. I've seen both solutions work for different types of products and types of companies.
1: I want to take up one paradoxical situation. few yeah. years back, Tesla was almost bankrupt, didn't have cash flow. And just recently, last year Nissan is bankrupt as no cash flow and Tesla is now out of junk bond rating just recently by the global rating agencies. So it's far more cash flush versus the traditional big players getting into good money and good run because of the government roles and and whatnot. How do you see this change in capital actually racing to innovators rather than the large traditional integrators of mobility products.
2: So, you know, clearly the world, the future is going on, right? And, And so therefore, companies that have differentiated solution products for that are going to get more capital. You're seeing that recently, even with companies in India that have separated out their businesses for EVs have been able to raise capital at valuations that are far more than their other companies as a whole. So the markets are treating the fact that this is the future and there is no capital there. I think this is going to continue for some time. At some point, it also is going to come down to where your margins are and how it'd be valued. And you know, certain companies like Tesla have shown strong margins in terms of by having a value chain control and that's going to probably help them in the future as we look at it. Certain other companies that are going the space because of the innovations are not at that level or scale is not at that level, do not have that margins, they're actually losing money on new products. So in a way they're actually bleeding during this transition period, right? And so they have to find ways to cross this transition period where the scale is high enough, innovation is high enough, which you need internal restructuring and reorganization to enable them to look at it. But it is a very large transformation cake that you see in the industry, right? And if you were a new company starting from fresh, you don't have any of that baggage, right? You have you don't have much right. to lose in the early stages. But if the traditional company, there's a lot of baggage, and there's a lot more that you right. can lose too. So how do you balance that? So, but the ones that will succeed are the ones who continue to create innovative products for the customer and provide good margins uh, to the to them by internally up to the company. And you know, markets are seeing that, and that's where you will see the push going.
1: I wanted to understand, you know, one of the top leaders, Toyota, had a change of leadership. There's a new CEO also at the helm. Over there, and the family CEO has moved on to the book. They changed their strategy, and um, they were leaders with the with the prior model, and continue to invest into innovation, into dual technology or technologies such as these or hydrogen. But they. Have clearly stated that they are not going to innovate into electric vehicles so soon although they did have one I think one electric vehicle which basically had some technical issues and recalled in the market but after that they have not really thought of going whole hog into this future of mobility and into electric vehicles how do you see a world leader are they making some mistakes or are they waiting and watching or they do not want to go into this future where things are still very fuzzy
2: well you know even five, six years ago, heard a lot of the European manufacturers saying, well, electric takes time, right? And right. you've seen them completely change around. I think the speed of innovation has been quite high that they have realized that it's it's imperative that they that they look at that front, right? Very, very fundamental think about fundamental level think about, right? Internal combustion engines 25% efficient, right? On a driving cycle, and electric could be 90%. That gap is, you know, governed by how the physics and chemistry, and that doesn't that doesn't change as far as this goes. So, in general, electrics are going to, be, you know, far more efficient, right? They are going to be, of course, have better acceleration. They have, of course, lower noise, at better lower emissions and performance is far superior to even uh, gasoline vehicles today. So that shift has happened, right? Does that mean that overnight everything goes? No, it's gonna take a bit of time because, you know, it's cars, it's it's trucks, it's buses, it's a whole lot of product portfolio, right? SUVs, everything. And so people will still continue in this transition space, but clearly the future, you know, is electric. And I think some companies may have programs internally that they may not be sharing externally, right? I'm not aware of those details right now, but you know, I think that today it just makes sense. Maybe 20 years ago when I started a little early, but today, you know, everything is coming together, be it oil prices, technology or cost structures, consumer behavior or government policy, right? And you've got a huge tailwind right now coming in where you can accelerate this. So it's yeah, up I'm to going to
1: talk you. about you being ahead of the time a little bit later when we talk about you and your lessons and all but i want to shift from the global arena to india what's happened you know you just said you were very much ahead of the time but over the last 10 years the growth in this whole sector about uh, three times in terms of volume so is india lagging behind or what are the reasons why it is not accelerated the way other markets like china europe and other you know advanced markets have really accepted this and moved uh, much faster what are your reasons to believe that india is still very slow in adoption here
2: so i think india is wrong you know we've lost on five because it's right and so we're behind the the fortunate thing is if you notice the catch-up has been fairly quick right globally if you look at the new companies and volume so that's been good it's not like you need 25 years to catch up right so this catch-up can be much faster in the last 12 months you know grown 3x of the country crossed a million acres first year so if i think of it from a perspective of where we were a year ago to where we are today there's been phenomenal growth and that has been in spite of still you know three four months of getting over covid and around six months of supply chain challenge right with the chip shortages so in spite of that we have grown 3x plus, right? So I think we're on the right trajectory. What happens is also from when we invest to when the outcome is, it's not overnight, right? Because you start these investments. So you're seeing these companies now put in investments. So you're seeing a lot more products available. You're seeing more tier ones. You're seeing investments in infrastructure all come together. So we are now on that, you know, on the train, right? We we just we were a little slower, but we're not catching up to speed. And I, I see that the next few years is going to be a game changer in the Indian industry across this front. And yes, we'll have to catch up on those five years that we lost behind. But I think we could do that in three as we're the country moving
1: forward. I'm glad there is positivity in you and you believe that we could catch up with the business. I wanted to understand, you know, recent news about some rare earths being discovered in Andhra Pradesh and lithium being discovered in Kashmir? How does this lead to actually enhancing the domestic supply chain for some of the electrical components and batteries for Indian players and manufacturers? And What sort of lead time are we expecting for this whole thing to be indigenously produced?
2: So these are very important finds and they're going to help us in the mid to long. Don't think they'll have an impact in the short term. So for batteries, you know, you need raw materials which are first processed from the mine. Make your anode and cathode, right? And you start with that in your cells and then packs and your electronics and the integration. So what today India is focusing on is to get the battery packs, manufactured, electronics and stuff, which is around 40% value add, right? With the PLI schemes, you're moving to cell manufacturing, We still import certain materials to manufacture the raw material that still make us cells. Right? The next is, can you go all the way to get the lithium and make even the raw materials of the anodes and cathodes and other things in-house in India? And that's where I see this coming. So once, and this is important when the business starts to go at scale, right? So in the next three to five years, as we start to get some scale, if such things are trying to come in, then, you know, from 27 onwards, you have to, you know, we can start to see some of these health industry tremendously. It will take some time to structure mines. But it's not just mine, it's also the processing of the raw materials into a form that can be utilized, right? So there has to be reinvestments across the entire value chain. And once these mines are open, it's going to give the opportunity to do it, right? So you will now therefore see huge investments and, and I do see this helping us definitely in the mid
1: too long. I wanted to flip this whole issue. Today, you know, India imports a lot of energy, especially crude, to fuel our mobility sector and other industries as well. Does that mean that uh, once this whole production of lithium and all these other rare earths, which are critical components, will go in, do you think we will have a very positive impact on on our economy and a lot of savings on our fuel imports that we are currently spending and it is also very very uncertain how the prices go tomorrow there is a bomb pakistan will throw and then the whole Crude war prices will go up because there's a war somewhere or something happens with Russia or something happens with Ukraine and suddenly the whole fuel uh, energy crisis emerges. Do you think this will be a dampening factor for our economy in terms of reliance on external uh, sources for fueling our economy?
2: So what you talked about, a very important point is how do we connect? energy and mobility together as a bigger picture. So let's just fast forward to 2030, right? We have around 250 million vehicles on our road today. Let's say we have 300 million, right? I'm talking for smaller growth, growth rate on this front by 2030. And let's say for a second they were all highly unlikely. But let's just put that hypothesis at all. And if that would need approximately 300 gigawatt of renewable energy, right? right. India is targeting around 600 gigawatt by 2030, right? right? So what does that mean in real estate space? That's 0.5 percent of Rajasthan covered by solar panels right Correct. so if you did that you could power the entire country's surface transportation on on you know clean energy and so it not only addresses the emission piece it also addresses our, uh, you know, uh, energy security and our foreign output that, I mean, that we have today, and that's pretty really impactful in the country, right? That would probably be 180 billion dollars by then. So you can talk about a huge transformation. The government's push is really to see how these two pieces of energy security and climate change can be addressed with our commitments we've made and the internal commitment on the side. On the other piece of it, you know, renewable energy is under three rupees a unit today, which means it's significantly lower cost than where gasoline would even if, it, if the gas went down to sub ten. God is a pound right? So you already have a comparative advantage with us. We have natural resources in the country. And so this would be a huge impact. In the short term, as the country it continues to import some raw material, that amount would be insignificant compared to the $180 billion you say, because even if you import a raw material, you know, that vehicle runs for 10 years in the same raw material. Right? In the case right. of oil, you're using it every year. So you, you have right. uh, you have a small amount to amortize at 10 years. And so that amount is very minuscule in terms of of what you do. so from a country point of view it is uh, it's very impact. it's huge the impact it made to economy um, and the entire fact of foreign exchange
1: plus the growth in employment and connectivity and other things that are ancillary to the mobility yeah uh, i mean across every the job creates
2: another well. 10 direct and 100 100 plus direct so that of course grows on and you know this is The largest percentage, 7% of our GDP and 49% of our manufacturing GDP, right? So it's a very large percentage of us. And when you then, that's just the automotive part. Now you put the energy piece to it and you combine the two, then this could be, you know, almost 2x of that level in terms of the GDP spend. to think about it, right? So it could really be very impactful from a country that's looking at transforming itself.
1: So on the services, the transportation is about 14%, services and transportation of GDP, 40% yes. of our GDP is yeah. there. So there also we will have some sort of impact to reduce cost and increase in volume of mobility or in terms of kilometers traveled or, or, or whatever
2: reasons yeah i mean you know as i mentioned i said electrics are getting 10 percent more efficient use renewable you get them connected you have shared All Did these I... add up the point of which you will see transportation significantly cheaper in some areas 30 to 50 percent of the cost of what it is today right and rena so that shift that will come is you know will really help the economy because that means Transportation of goods and services are a lot cheaper. And that, as you can imagine, is a big boost to all the other sectors so far. So
1: now what happens? The lithium and these rare earth become a new BUMO, just like h 2 Indian Oil, or it's going to be into private sector? What's the thought? What What do you know about this here now?
2: You know, so I think that what you're also seeing is two pieces. So, of course, in the short to midterm, there are new alliances, right? There are countries that have stronger materials. India has good alliances, like it's trade alliances on the oil side. It needs to create alliances with the new energy side, right? It also needs to explore that within India, it needs to look at also recycling to ensure it has its own local piece attached to it, right? And but there's another piece of it that the technology is also changing to enable less use of this so today when when batteries are getting eight percent Better every year or so, they're using actually 8% less raw material, right? In a way, if you think of it, because the same way, but you're getting 8% more energy, right? Right. New new raw materials are coming in. You're seeing sodium ion batteries, new technologies coming in, everything are going to use more and more easily available materials. Right? You're seeing motors that everyone was new to mind but for magnets are now moving magnetless designs or lower cost magnet systems. So if the pricing of one technology or one material goes up, it is in our human DNA to innovate to get something else to work. right? So right. you know, and you, you saw that, you know, when oil prices went up, shale gas started, a host of others happened, right? So similarly, right. depending at the different price points, you're going to see new technologies emerge, right? So it is important that these are some new materials, and we get that, but we also have an important understanding that there is a lot of innovation happening on newer materials, and that would bring in efficiency of the use of materials, as well as new materials that are not necessarily as difficult to source. So, you know, these will all come into play
1: together. Chetan, you have been with Ratan Tata and several other industrialists on industry bodies for mobility and transportation. And I remember you also talking about it on a one-on-one, uh, I don't know where we were meeting together and... You talked about it, where the lacune with the previous uh, dispensation in Delhi was and how the current dispensation is far more positive in its outlook. Do you think in the corridors of New Delhi and they're very positive in doing this transition very quickly? Or are we still at that level where we still have to lobby to get these policy changes and then get uh, the impact on the ground?
2: So, you know, one thing that's very refreshing is that the vision is very right. So be it from what the prime minister has said, you know, the finance ministers' announcements. It is it is an important piece of the country's policy. I think that vision is clear. And most ministries you know very working very hard so you've got the fame policy come from dhr road and transport has released a host of new policies energy ministry has released new areas low cost of tariff has come in reduced road taxes so there's a host of policy framework that is coming and these are all the positives i see a couple of gaps where we still need to work on there's sometimes a gap between the vision and the implementation right and at the ground level and and that i think needs to big more because today people are in the implementation phase right and if there are gaps in the implementation group, then that causes a lot of heartache. So I think where the government is to work is close some of those gaps. And two, you know, we are a large nation with a lot of states and different states have different policies. And they will continue to happen. But there could be some uniformity that comes in from the center to say this is important for the country. How do we create some more uniform policies around things that are critical? And that would help a lot of the states, you know, coming through to look at it. And probably sort of uniformity in certain areas, you know. Subsidies are given for some aspects, not GST taxes slightly different. You get a vehicle with or without batteries. There are these anomalies that probably you have to fix as part of that. But we're heading in the right direction here. And that's what's seen uh, big investments. And that's what's seen a growth of 3X in the last year, right? So it's clearly policy along with industry investments, along with consumer mindset change all comes together. If only one was there, it won't drive, which you have all of these coming in. And that's you're able to kind of have a, a domino effect. We'll see you We'll see you next time. On the, so the policy in the next five years is very critical to continue the domino least, so that becomes a
1: lot. Help me understand now, decode me this. We are looking at a $5 trillion economy by 2030 and being number two or number three after US, China, whatever the sequence is. But we don't still have a world beating ever batteries, just like the three top three ones who are having that scale and the volume to be world beaters. So how do we even enable those sort of players here apart from the taxation and the incentives for manufacturing and other things that we need to enable for the industry, we still don't have scale. And obviously, growth of this sector is very important from the contribution to the economy. Where do you think the government is lacking even in enabling such industries to go at not just in scale in India, but for global market? And I'm not seeing that anything on the ground yet from a policy or from an incentive. Yeah, have the PLI and all these are very short term oriented things, but the impact is still not seen that we have a top 10 also in the list of battery makers or the list of components. So how do we see this getting realized in spite of having a policy move in the right direction?
2: Yeah, you know, I agree with you. Again, like I said, not only us, I think you and America also lost the game a bit on that, right? Reaction Correct. was too slow on this front. But the government has now put in this the PLI scheme for 50 gigawatt. That would be, you know, an enabler, right? It's not a one thing gets all. But by creating a certain amount of demand, you're creating machines, factories, people who can work on them and understand customers like OEMs would now buy them for vacation, right? And you're creating an ecosystem, right? And they needed all of them to come. To so we we'll hopefully start to see our first plants in the country in the next, you know, 18 to 24 months rolling out. And I think in the next three to five years, we should build this up. And that's why I was talking to you that, you know, this catch up is new for us in the country. And once those first facilities come in, you start to build up the ecosystem, right? India today, you know, is number one on small car manufacturing, is number one on two wheelers globally. And I think that in the next five to seven years, we could keep that role on electric mobility in some form factors. And once the batteries are made in India, you have all the vehicles, which are very good at anyways, we're really good at software, we're really good at electronics, also, you're seeing all this come together with products designed in India, right? And manufactured. And, and today there's a huge demand. You go to global markets. In many markets, you know, Indian products, especially in these spaces, are over 50%. So we've already built that brand globally, which in those markets will allow us, we don't have to do that again, which that means that new products come out. right? I think the other opportunity we have is, is go as systems, system, right? Not just the product, but with the infrastructure and with a full solution. So as we look at these solutions on the future mobility, in India were able to replicate into cities globally and the requirements of India and 50% of the world are different and so we have an opportunity as a country to look at Southeast Asia and Africa and South America where the requirements are very different more India-like and therefore the solutions are likely to come from countries like it, right and therefore leadership so you know it's a great option for us to lose them. it's out there for us to take yeah. and it's only for us to lose if we don't put our energies and effort
1: in. you know I just wanted to add a few things you see one of my investing companies actually started an NGO or institute which measures movement of traffic across different cities based on their rides in terms of calculating for every city P car and non peak what is the speed in that of the GPS and uh, across the systems and they published a report and there's a new report along with the Ministry of Transport the latest report will also be out It's going to come for over 40 cities what's an average movement of traffic in those cities during P cars and during non P cars and if I remember right because we also use that data for our ambulance for the golden hour purposes and positioning and movement of these ambulances for life-saving purposes as well, right? And we realize that the speed at which the traffic moves in many of these cities is very amenable to electric vehicles. And yet you realize it, you are ahead of the time. And yet the adoption of it, for whatever reasons, is not that fast yet, or not that great for an electric and alternative mobility solution. Yet we are still behind. And I wanted to understand why did your Product also didn't move so fast in the market, the mobility factor.
2: So, I think the two things. I think you're right, you rightly said that the average speed is very low in India. Yeah, it's one thing they're trying to beat London, and I guess London is on the same level as <laughs> those speeds, right? But, you know, it's not just the average speed. The average speed, of course, and the stop and go driving make it ideal for electrics because of regenerative braking. So, hands down, everyone gets it for cities. Uh, I see, I mean, you know, electrics make a lot of sense on the front, right? Um, but also, these vehicles in the evening, you know, could go much faster when the roads clear up right and so that the capability of vehicles to higher speeds is as important in a purchase decision it's our human nature be it on running or horses or anything that we want that performance right although the speed requirements average speeds much less we don't buy vehicles on the average speed but on what the on what we do on a straight road at least from an overall person point but from a problem from a shared mobility point yes speeds of 45 50 are sufficient uh, in city centers to move around fine and therefore you're seeing a lot of these forms of transportation is more prevalent and if you look at the growth rate KK, in the last year it's all been in this set right it's always it's all been in the right. slow speed rickshaws three-wheelers two you know two wheelers which relates to the point you just said that the average speeds are much lower it happening, right so this 3x growth is clearly you know showing that level that it is growing and that will be the largest part of it right and and that's 80 percent of india is two and three wheelers. So that's where we see the largest growth potential.
1: Today, I want to now shift a little bit on, you know, Tesla and what they have been aspiring to do and get your comment and feedback as well. Last year, I believe Tesla announced that they want to come to India. And then we have various state governments telling, okay, come, come, come. And then Elon Musk says, look, I'm only wanting to sell the cars here. I don't want to manufacture them. And then the whole idea of Twitter war started that, you know, we are not inviting Tesla. To India and but if you see the all along automakers in India, including Hyundai when they entered in India and in fact negotiated their localization exports are then set up their manufacturing in Tamil Nadu, it's very clear that India doesn't want export of vehicles yet Tesla wants to set up those giga factories in China and you know dominate the world or Asia out of one location. is that got a sort of strategy going to work for Tesla?
2: Well, it's hard to fully comment on that, but I think, you know, they're going to markets that have very strong policy and very strong market sizes, right? And so, you know, as a company, the early stages of its growth, but it's now gone to a, a very different level. Which is still going to look at those pieces, right? There are opportunities that are everywhere. You have limited resources. Where would you prioritize it? So, if the opportunity, the market is very big, to prioritize it. The policies are very favorable to right? For the products that Tesla makes, the market is because the products are more the higher end front, right? And right. it recognizes that. And so, if the market size is much smaller. The investments are pretty high to put up everything to justify the cost structures. On this front right but i do believe that as they are moving to their lower cost products they're more likely to look at markets like india where it makes more sense Considering they're a bit more vertically integrated company, their investments are much higher than typical companies, right? Because they're also looking at motors and batteries and everything they make here. And that increase the investment size on the front. And even their vehicles, you know, have different manufacturing processes, very large costings and stuff, or, uh, which are very unique and they need to be, they only run efficiently at very high volume, right? And so it may not. But it doesn't rule out what other companies say is, hey, start with a SKD or, you know, or a CKD. Right? And understand the mark, build it up. And as the volumes grow, then do Correct. the entire thing. But I can't comment on their strategy on the front. They seem to be selling every vehicle they're making and are growing. So, you know, because they're getting it right, what they're doing.
1: Right. You said they're getting things right. And I want to understand, what is Tesla really getting it right? What do you think is their secret sauce? And what lessons have you learned from Tesla being a first mover, having a first mover in India with your vehicles, with your experience in Indian market?
2: So I think, uh, you know, they start from a clean sea. So they had a chance of a new approach, right? They developed core technologies in-house. Motors, electronics, batteries include entering the manufacturing, right? And they also innovated areas around simple things which people then look at. Like people said, oh, you know, how much can you innovate in a harness? Well, you know, they've changed their architectures and made those 30% lighter and lower cost, right? Or how much can you change in a, on a making how a body of a vehicle is made? But when you come clean slate and you say, oh, I don't have the engine, I don't have all the stuff, you start to even create new manufacturing processes because you're able to look at things differently. So their innovation is also being looked at this pieces. And I think the last bit, which is quite you know, interesting, is that typically in, in, you know, things of what's called the body in white, for example, which is the main body yeah. which that's a monocoque structure everything sits on. Someone would invest and they'd use that for eight, ten years, right? They don't you kind of once a the investment. It's interesting in, in a product and a model, just the rare portion of it, they actually every year changed the, the design was the same, it changed the casting change, to low cost, make it more efficient, produced 700 parts so they're innovating at a space of every year right So the, the key is how do you you know how do you outdo yourself right your competition is yourself right and i think that's something all, i've always strongly believed and always told my and i said listen it's not about someone else you know innovating you out that's too late you have to make yourself opposite if you make yourself opposite that's when you grow so if you have packs and stuff that's great but that's only relevant until it's as competitive and if you keep your benchmark uh, with others it's It won't allow you to innovate, keeping your benchmarks internally to say, how do I get that better? is I think, a much better way when you're in your leadership. A couple of other things I think that when I look at our learnings and stuff, I think India is, you know, it was more the dynamics of the industry, right? I'm talking 20 years ago when, you know, even 15 years ago, people weren't still putting EV products in there. Investments were much more challenging than it is today. And I think, you know, they were at the right time, the right place. Right. The governments give huge amounts of incentives, close to billion dollars of, of you know, loans and you know, we see it at similar levels. And when you capitalize the company at early stages with government support and the local ecosystem, uh, it really allows you to do a lot of. And I think that that ecosystem is building up in India, but not at that scale as is in some of these markets. And, and I think we have great ideas, we have all of that stuff, but we also need capital at scale. And I must say things have improved in the last few years in India, but it was very challenging
1: twenty. But I would love to commend the presentation that you gave at NASCOM as a keynote speaker and the ideas that you presented us, a uh, Tesla's Investor Day presentation in March, a cut face job from your presentation. So I would love to say that and comment on your vision and being a visionary about what you thought 10 years back is now what Tesla is thinking of implementing at scale. So I would really commend that you had that vision and you thought about it. But that's a different story about, you know, where we, what the challenges you faced as an entrepreneur in India, as a Elon Musk, an entrepreneur with some scale and vision somewhere else. But it looks like a copycat from your presentation.
2: Well, I think we, a lot of us recognize that. It's great to see that this coming, a lot of this coming to reality and a lot of it being added to a roadmap and a lot more people to the- Believing in it, uh, it was probably harder to recognize some of those things ten years ago. But uh, I think a lot of them is becoming real- have, has become a reality, and a lot of it there is a roadmap for it to become reality, and so people can see that happen.
1: Ketan, I want to focus on on you as an individual and your beliefs, your aspirations. You started way ahead of the others. What was your motivation to get into something, and you have been visionary to prove it right? Maybe ten years later, which reflects very much in. Uh, a global giant like tesla talking about it in their investor day but what really motivated you to start this journey
2: well you know at university i had the opportunity of being a part of a solar car solar car team we across the us and then australia and the fact that you could cross continent on pure sun energy without a drop of oil was like a wow moment to me this was 1990 when oil was less than 20 dollars a barrel and no one cared about climate change but for me, I think that was my turning point to say this is what I wanted. My summer trips to India only reinforced it because that's when the Indian economy was opening up. Everyone's getting, you know, the cities are getting very congested, and and you said there has to be a solution around this. We can't we can't grow sustainable. And Reva was about creating, you know, an affordable form of transportation that you know take two adults and two children, which I saw as a small the small family in India, at a price of what they would pay for their scooter, or cheaper than a scooter. And if this shift happened, then that would allow people to go in a sustainable way. It was always 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 about, you know, creating affordable seats. I think you can use technology and create highest performance vehicles and it's fun to do and I've also loved to do that, racing and other things. But if you can use technology to make a difference in people's lives, and in fact, that to me was much larger. So it was around that, that the entire, you know, journey started and in the late 90s and, uh, you know, launched the product in 2001.
1: And this is almost 10 years ahead of Tesla. Um,
2: yes, it was. Tesla was, uh, you know, in 2007 or so that they launched their first product.
1: What, what led you to exit out? Why did you give up? I mean, you could have always partnered with Mahindra's. I know, I know Anand very well. I am also working on on one of their ventures and and he's a very open and magnanimous person. He, He loves entrepreneurs like you. Why did you fully exit out to him?
2: Was he not accommodative
1: uh, or was he not appreciative of your product or ideas or what was it?
2: Well, I have a great relationship, right? No second thoughts of what we did at that point. I built this out. And, you know, after five years of running it within the network, we got management in place, it was integrated well. And I was thinking, what next? To me, uh, it was about creating something that could be far bigger and global and could be far more impact and sustained. And when I came about with the idea, which is today's sun mobility around batteries, You know, that's 80% of India that could back, you know, and could buy 40% of our trucks and transportation. To me, that was much bigger. For that, I needed to create an open solution that everyone could use, trying to create an Android of sorts on this front uh, and that will need me to be open with all players and so I felt that the right thing to do is to step down on that share that allows me to work with everyone right including my right. Address. so this platform then becomes up here and it would have been difficult to do it if I still have wore a hat where I was you know part of the EV business side of it you know I'm happy where it's going today and the, the both of my the, both of the business are growing well in the EV space of it I'm so happy for them but it was the right decision for I think this is allowing me to look at an impact is much larger. Personal mobility had impact X. I think where what I'm doing today could have impact as 100x. And so, you know, when I see a rickshaw driver who's able to earn 20% more, go home and be more relaxed with time with their kids, and you're, you're making impact in their lives and you're still creating businesses that are profitable. I think that's really the future where it is going to be uh, and, uh, and how do we innovate further that piece of affordability that I talked about, right? Make electric vehicles affordable mass.
1: So where are you on the journey now? I know the aim is like Intel inside in every computer, it's sun mobility inside in every battery or any EV product moving across the surface of Earth. Where are you on the journey?
2: Well, you know, the piece when I looked at exiting out, we talked about you know was there's three challenges that existed everywhere why EVs weren't taking off right it was high cost it was people's emotional challenge around range anxiety or technology and a long range of time and i said if you fundamentally solve these three problems with a, a business model and a technology you could really have evs at scale right and by separating right. batteries from vehicles you can get the cost of electric vehicles to be cheaper than ic for them and if you can swap them in a minute uh, you've addressed the range anxiety and refilling. So today right. you can get an electric bike, price similar, and cost of energy is cheap. Now that would make someone go. Alive. The second piece was that how do you create something? that is ubiquitous. So we have one solution, one battery for a scooter, for rickshaw, three for an auto, four for a small four-wheeler, which caters to 80% of India and probably most of the developing country. So if one solution can fit every format, you bring in a sense of utilization, right, For this front. So that was important for the tech. The second is that I've always believed it's about partnership on the ecosystem. So on one side, we have over 10 OEM, over 30 products integrated on our platform. On the other side, we have 43 providers who are on our system. And on the third side, we've got you know in your in your company energy companies others for the energy pieces so this allows us to enable a city to go there because what you've done is put the pieces together and giving customers a value proposition right where we are today is we have the lower 450 stations right we are in 18 cities and close to around 20,000 000 vehicles on our platform we've grown a fair bit you know over from a year ago where we probably had only 100 stations so there's a good growth for the company in a city like ncr we're at 350 stations so there's a station every two and a half kilometers right so the idea is to make it even easier to get uh, electric swap battery, then it would be given um, fill up gas, right? And at that point, you've, you've changed the perception of how to look at it and giving them a value profit. And what we're seeing is huge interest globally, we're piloting with Shell in Philippines, right? Piloting in other countries. Really. And, and that's where I feel that it's an India product and solution going global markets
1: where we can create a large future. So now it's going to be Sun Mobility pins on the Google map all over the world? Well, let's start with India and hopefully beyond. <laughs> one step at a time. Then you know, it's always intrigued me, a person of your vision, caliber, you've given a lot of talk and you've, I think you've motivated a generation of entrepreneurs who are now following you and getting mentored by you in the mobility space in India. I can tell you that. And why haven't you thought of writing a book or something? You know,
2: I'm, I'm too busy
1: still having fun doing technology and building businesses, right? So I'm
2: sure at some point when I slow down, it, I would look at maybe sharing some of those insights. There's a lot of depth um,
1: of knowledge that you have I think it's, it's been very useful for the ecosystem I would say I, and I don't want be, you to retire or slow down Mike. no no I think you're would the be bishop, you are the I'm bishop just, of the mobility industry I, I, year.
2: no no I'm just very I, I think it's so exciting the space to like right. you know having been in 20 years KK I've never seen for the first time everything come together right that's today right and so you're you, you've been thinking of this for 20 years and finally it's happened so now when you're in the midst of it it's actually how could you contribute to make it happen, right? And uh, and building that out. And that's where all my energies are going. But, you know, whenever I get an opportunity, I'm happy to share with, you know, colleagues and uh, others around whatever small learnings that I've had. around.
1: But before I let you go, I want it from your perspective itself. What's the key messages you like to give to our own entrepreneurial ecosystem from what you have learned and being a visionary of what you have shared with us also at our NASCOM platform, from your what you have learned in life and what you have done. And Achieve.
2: so uh, i think the first piece is about. i think this people.
1: will be the preface of the book itself <laughs>
2: no. i think the first piece to me is all about a lot about passion unless you truly believe in something because things that go wrong and unless you have a deep passion about that and believe it's not going to make you go through. If it's purely for money or purely for something else, it won't work. The cause has to be bigger, and that will drive the times of a challenge, right? One's attitude um, can solve problems. When I started, no one had built an electric car before, and I you know, didn't say I need everyone experience. It's about going to zero principles, not thinking with your ego. Yeah, I know all of this, No, but working at zero principles with the right teams to get that in place can really enable um, you to solve issues, right? Think out of the box. It becomes, it's not a once-in-a-time thing, it's a daily, thing, right? And I think when you're early in an industry where you didn't have that ecosystem, you tend to have a lot more issues that others haven't solved. The result of that solving you become a problem, it become a problem-solver's part of the job, right? And therefore, you're always seeing on that front. And building that capability is very important. I think surrounding yourself, with teams to augment this. And beyond that, also with companies, It's a new space today of collaboration. It's not one does everything, but how do you work with others to create the new win-win of the church? I think this is going to be so important for generations coming today. You know, I recall doing things like this even 15 years ago, but it's even more relevant right? And then it's about, you know, working to create an ecosystem. If you think of industries which had ecosystems, if there was only one company or one product, it wouldn't worked, right? You think of the telephone industry, what if there's only one company and one, where will the cost structure come down? So innovation happens, awareness happens in the ecosystem. So what we're seeing today come out in industry is a shift in the ecosystem, right? So the ecosystem comes first. You don't compete, you will at one point compete with each other, but the big thing, the market is so big, you are actually building out and once that is, the best people will. So if you think of it from a bigger picture that the pie is getting bigger every, year, every day and think of it from that, the industry will grow and everyone in the industry will grow with that. I think that's where we have in front of us.
1: Chetan, I'm afraid we have come uh, run out of time, but, you know, as usual, you know, it's always a very intense, passionate, high energy, high impact discussion with you as always, whether it's face to face or virtually on this podcast today. Sincerely, thank you for sharing your point of view on the way the world is moving on, uh, on and in a very brief manner like you always been presenting yourself a very very insightful discussion that you've had with us thank you very much for sharing these nuggets of wisdom your personal experience and your depth of industry for our listeners and I also thank your staff and team to make it possible to come on this podcast and talk about it very openly and candidly as well
0: so there you go listeners the future of mobility from an expert and a visionary and you know where the world is going to move ahead you also know what vehicle and on what technology you can invest when you buy your next vehicle appreciate for making it possible on our podcast today
1: that's pleasure Thanks. Thank, you. thank you take care Bye. so really Thanks. a